from the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. It's Friday, February 6th. The year is 2020. You're listening to The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Huckabee. I'm coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, down there in Orlando, Florida. Uh, He had a big day yesterday. He was in charge of making sure that the Democrats got the impeachment vote, our political operative. (laughs) He was, I I haven't checked the news yet, but I, but I trust, I trust the process entirely to his hands. Our illustrious producer. Chandler has moved on from app development for the Iowa caucuses to his next successful venture. Chandler, excited you're here today. <laughs> Succeeding oh, upwards, our illustrious here. producer Chandler Strang. Meanwhile, up there in Loveland, Virginia, we're always happy to have our friend, the apolitical Jesse That's right. Terry. I have, I've done the, the least political thing I could do in this morning and just sat down and watched a bipartisan lovely demonstration <laughs> of Christian values at the National Prayer Breakfast. So I'm ready to go. I am ready Heart to overflowing go. overflowing with, with love and goodwill <laughs> towards people on all sides of the aisle. All sides. And, all sides. And making her relevant podcast debut today. We're very excited to welcome to the show for the first time from Grand Rapids, Michigan. She's the author of Humankind, How Reclaiming Human Worth and Embracing Radical Kindness will bring us back together. Please welcome Ashley Island to the podcast. Hi, Ashley. Gentlemen and everybody. So glad to be with you. I'm doing great. Oh my goodness. This is, this is very exciting. We also, we also feel, it feels way riskier to me when we have somebody on the podcast who's brand new, because I feel like we have to be on a really good behavior. (laughs) Please don't do that. We're we're already family. I can feel it. (laughs) Oh, I think, I think so. Uh, Ashley, you are, you have a new book that is coming out. Yes. That is available to, for pre-order right now. It it's is. called Humankind. What? What? So this is something that I think is really interesting. Uh, as somebody who who writes a lot, what was it about this topic that made you decide this is the book? Like this is the this is the subject that I'm willing to spend the next like months, maybe years of my life devote that to and and put my name out in the world with this. Because I'm sure you've got a lot of things you could have written about. I mean, not to be morbid or anything, but the end of your life, what you want, the legacy and the imprint you want to make on your surroundings, your environment, the people around you. said, so we're entering into a landscape. I mean, it's been two years in the making where we're just getting more divided, it seems. Mm-hmm. And that reality can seem really daunting. And I said, with words, how can we encourage people to take a scale back from this macro level view of issues and policy and politics and really re-engage people. And that requires a level of depth and bravery that I think a lot of people have disconnected from. And I wanted to try and capture that with words and what better way to do that than with the idea of kindness and reclaiming that for our society. Um, It seems like we've kind of lost a little bit of that and I'm trying to reclaim it. 
Now, you know, before we before we got rolling, we were, we were chit-chatting, and I have been privileged enough to have had your book in my possession for several weeks now. I've been very much enjoying it. Like, I have just the, the nature of kind of the job. I tend to get a lot of books sent to me before they come out to kind of uh, check out, and I have, like, a couple of stacks you know, and they <laughs> go from ones that I will get to, to maybe we'll see if I get to, to like the hot list reading stack. And this has been on the top of this for a while because, ah. you know, I, I was telling you beforehand that I don't know if I can remember a book that I feel like is more timely in the sense that. Not only is there a market void mm. for a book about the power of kindness, I feel like there's a real spiritual void for it. You know, like I was I, I was kind of lightheartedly joking and I don't want to be like overly partisan, but I wanted to use this as an example of what I feel like shows why this is needed. You know, we're recording this, the you know, an, an hour after the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. concluded, which right. is generally a time where lawmakers kind of come together and, and have the politics do become involved, but it's largely seen as a time to, to pray for the country. And the speaker there this morning was Arthur Brooks, and he had written, he has just written a, a book called Love Your Enemies, How Decent People Can Save America from the Culture of Contempt. And he mm -hmm. spoke on that topic. But when the president took the stage, the first thing he said is, Arthur, I don't know if I agree with you. Mm -hmm. So even this idea Ooh, of oh. loving your enemies, right. you know, it isn't safe at a place like the National Prayer Breakfast. Now, people can read into the partisan implications of that all they want. My point wasn't to make a partisan one, but a cultural and social one. There seems to be this mindset right now that kindness is for losers and aggressive insults are for winners. Yes. How can your book combat that idea? Right. Yeah. Kindness I mean, who's the first person you think of when you think of kindness? I always thought of Mr. Rogers. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. And sure. his now, like his shoes are cool again to wear because it's <laughs> yeah. kind of full <laughs> circle. Advance. Right. Yeah. But classically, kindness has been associated with weakness. Hmm. And I actually think the bravest thing you can do, the kindest thing you can do is take a close, intimate look at your own story to see what each of us has picked up along the way to make us who we are and to build empathy for our own stories and then to extend that empathy to other people. That takes time. That takes courage. That takes patience. And the kind of discourse we're seeing right now is, is quick fire. It's quick shots. It's behind a screen. There's very little humanity to it. So I actually think engaging kindness in our stories and with other people and other people's stories is harder. And it actually requires hmm. more of us than what we're currently seeing, even at something like the National Prayer Breakfast. Now, now I, I'm glad you mentioned the idea of our stories because your story plays a big part in in your book and kind of the framing of of some of the big ideas in it in kindness. Mm -hmm. Ashley, if you wouldn't mind, I don't want to give too much of the book away. Uh, I, I, I people need to read it uh, in its entirety for themselves because it's really powerful. But if you mm -hmm. could just kind of briefly explain how your own story has informed your views on these ideas, sure. 
My story, like all of ours, is an interesting one because I grew up in a big city. I grew up in Houston, Texas. So I'm a I consider that Southern. Some people yeah. might disagree with me. My husband doesn't think I'm actually Southern. Whatever. Like Southwest. <laughs> yeah. Southern. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so qualified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you say Southern, I trust your judgment. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're from right. there. You get to I make have it a little up, bit of a twang yeah. sometimes. But. The, the cool thing about Houston, it's it's really culturally, ethnically diverse, but I found myself operating in these different environments that really teased out different pieces of who I was. And it was really confusing for a long time. So, for example, I went to an all girls Catholic private high school um, and actually was at that school for from kindergarten through 12th grade. Oh, wow. But then I drive to the other side of the city to run AAU track and field, like mm. club track and field with an all mostly, um, not all black, mostly black team. And so I felt in some environments, like I was the token black girl, you know, when the new mm. hip hop songs came out or the new dance moves, people would look to me like I knew, I knew all the black things. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but then yeah. on, at, you know, on the other side of town, people would ask questions like, why do you talk like that? And it was mm. really a confusing um, dichotomy, a, a confusing fence to have to straddle because I felt like, one, who am I really? Do I need to be informed by other people's opinions? And how do I uh, accept myself and extend grace and kindness to other people, even when they're questioning me? in these, in these ways. And so throughout the book, you're seeing all these themes of things that were really beautiful that I picked up along the way and things that were really confusing and hard. Like what role does humiliation play in yeah. our stories? The times that you and I have been humiliated, what did that form in us and how does that inform how we relate to other people? It absolutely has an impact, but we have to be able to look at it. And yeah. I, I think, there's no better way to do that than through the power of story. And this book was an opportunity for me to look at my own. Why, why do you think it is that we are in a, because in the book, you, you talk about this concept of like radical kindness and, yeah. and, 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 and to a degree, kindness has become a radical concept. And right. I think it'd be easy. The easy thing to do would be to blame a single person or a single thing and say like, well, we have, you know, the, the most powerful person in, in the, in the country constantly spewing, you know, values that are counter to these on Twitter, like just kind of objectively, like, again, not sure. trying to be partisan and in, in return, people uh, uh, return vitriol with vitriol and they're <laughs> sort of the cycle, but I feel like that's probably the easy answer, right? It's like, yes. you know, th those things are elected officials or are, you know, the general social discourse that we see happening on social media are probably mm -hmm. symptoms of something much deeper than the outcomes of an election or how a, a social media site algorithm bumps things that are more hostile to the front of, of the queue. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be some sort of underlying spiritual issue that 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 those things are symptoms of. Why do you think the, that the, the ideas that you present in this book about radical kindness mm -hmm. are so radical? What, what do you think has happened socially where we've turned away from it so hard? Yeah, these ideas, I mean, I really look to a text like Ephesians 4, where Paul is talking about unity and maturity in the body mm -hmm. of Christ. Mm -hmm. 
I think our current cultural context is more about what we're against than what we're for. And this kind of idea around kindness is really a rallying cry for unity. And that's hard. It's hard to say right now, what are we for together? How are we, um, again, rallying around something we actually believe in versus saying, this is my opinion. I'm standing by it. We, we each have lived an experience that informs these values and these opinions. And I think deep, deep down, we're all afraid to admit we might be wrong. Hmm. We might be afraid to admit that something important to us, people who are important to us, values, experiences that are important to us may have taken us off track and pulled us away from a common rallying cry around unity. That's really scary, especially if you're in your second half of life yeah. or you know, mm-hmm. if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, beyond to say something that I have spent a lot of time investing in, an idea I've spent investing in could be faulty. And that's why I think it's so important to come back, at least for me, to the text of scripture to say, yes, something in us is faulty, but there is something that we can be rooted in that's not, and that's unity in Christ. And that's a foundation that we can really hang our hats on day in and day out. So yeah, my opinions are important. Yours are important. They're well-informed, hopefully, but it's really, I think we're all just scared, we're all really scared that we might be wrong. How do you, how do you in your life as somebody who's, like you said, hopefully well-informed, like we mm-hmm. all try to be and, and yeah. obviously have opinions about these things. How do you balance that tension of making sure that what you're saying, that you're being kind to, mm-hmm. to other people while making sure that you're also standing for things that you do believe in, uh, and at the same time, at a third prong on acknowledging with humility that those things that you're standing for that you believe in may, may be wrong. You may need to be corrected on them. That's a very difficult sort of three-way balance to walk. Do you have any advice for people who are trying to do that? Yeah. Um, I think it's the difference between looking at issues versus people. Hmm. I think there, <laughs> if I'm more married to the issue versus interested in relationship, that is going to drive me and motivate me differently than I'm interested in. Hey, there's a relationship. There's a person before me. Like I I believe in this concept of Imago Dei, that each one of us is created in the image and likeness of God. Right. If that's true, then even the person who's on the extreme opposite end of a spectrum still has some good, some very good embedded in him or her Mm. to acknowledge that is huge. Because it rehumanizes every single person. And so when you're actually engaging in an issue, um, my friend and brother, AJ Sherrill, he says, it's not just about the, the position or the policy. It's also about the posture. Mm. I've had some really hard conversations with folks, you know, who are dear friends of mine. We will never agree potentially um, on a certain policy or issue. But that's okay because the relationship is more important to me than the issue. Um, Now, it informs how I relate to people, obviously, like the issues that we care about inform how we treat people, what we spend our time and energy on. But ultimately, if we're after unity, especially for those of us who are in Christ, we have to admit that our own ideas and opinions 
are faulty by nature because we are faulty as humans by nature. And there has to be something greater that we are rallying around um, and that should form our postures. Now, I I think the, the, the one sort of like that, well, I say the one challenge, there's lots of challenges because Mm. it is kind of against human nature, right? Like, you know, no one wants to kind of feel that humility of maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe I should open my mind a little, but I think where it gets hard that putting these things into practice is when kindness or uh, like at least like good faith efforts to kind of meet people where they're at and see their kindness are met with more hostility or defensiveness or, you know, and and sort of that 70 times seven turn the other cheek principles kind of come into play. Mm -hmm. But when, if there are Christians out there who feel like I want to embody this, but sometimes it gets really hard that every time I try to find common ground with someone who disagrees with me, you know, really strongly about something that kindness is never met with kindness. What Mm -hmm. would your advice be to that person that just finds like, I'm trying this, but man, at some point I just want to be like, you know what? Forget it. You guys, you know, like (laughs) what would your advice to be to to someone who's like, I'm having, I'm just having trouble and I need sort of an extra measure of grace to be able to live this way. Right. Three things come to mind. One, um, and I, I'm, I'm a very tactile, I'm a very practical person in the way I process these things. So I'd say, yeah. grab a pen and write out, what are you looking for from that person? In that mm. exchange, I often wonder, am I actually looking for this person to accept me? Am I actually looking mm. for this person to validate me somehow? What's most important in this exchange? Because the what's most important will inform if I'm willing to re-engage over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm looking to be accepted by this person, then um, if he or she uh, claps back with some hostility or some sarcasm, then that's that's going to sting and potentially um, bench me from the things that I, I feel really invested in. Um, but secondly, I'd say find people who you know are for you, who can remind you of who you are, or that are people that you can go back to again and again, and no matter who you've encountered in the scope of that journey. They're the people you can go back to and say, hey, remind me of who I am. Remind me of who I am in Christ. Remind me of why I'm here. Remind me of why we're in this together. Um, mm-hmm. And that might be a really small group of people, but in order for us to have the fuel to to be out in the world and be proximate to others who we may not know or engage with on a regular basis. Like I'd say you can't be doing that work alone. You have to have people to fall back on and to remind you of, of truly who you are. And third, um, I'd say the continual practice of being rejected is actually really good for us. Mm. Mm. Um, I think there's really good formative work in that. I think it's formational. Yeah. Especially for those of us who follow Christ, we weren't promised an easy road. Like that wasn't promised. The the claim was in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. So I actually think it's a call to be formed really practically in hope um, that what we're seeing and what we're experiencing isn't all there is, that there's something beyond and yet we are still invited to participate. Um, yeah. And I actually think that gives us the humility we need to be the kind of people that move forward in kindness and unity. 
Um, so yeah, it is infuriating. I, I, I'd say press pause on like the social media engagement. I'd say if, mm. if social media is the first place you're going to, to take out all your frustrations about humanity, <laughs> maybe, maybe um, find a different way to process yeah. a buffer, you know? Yeah. Maybe you couldn't pick a worse place in the world to be <laughs> yeah. looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe go to one of those insane and also dangerous axe throwing bars that are just yeah, popping up in cities are, around yeah. the country. Yeah. Are they, have you been? Yeah. Yeah. Axe throwing is amazing. I also like foaling. Have you been foaling? It's football bowling. What? Oh, no. Oh, this, is, this, is, this is, this is, okay, I've never okay. heard of this. All right. Pause, pause the book. I do want to hear this. <laughs> Come on, real quick. The book is Humankind. It's out, it's out on April 7th. Everyone should check it out on Amazon. Seriously, it's uh, uh, super impactful, really challenging. And we will plug it again later in the show for, as, a, as a reminder, everyone. But uh, Ashley, you have sparked our interest in foaling. And you, I feel a need taking this to podcast address to a this new before we before we move on to later in the show. W- foaling. This this could be a book. This could be a revolutionary idea. You know, right. it, it could be the book title could just be foaling. foaling a sweet sport you've never heard of. But now, you know, exactly what, 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 what is it? How does it work? It works. OK, so let's say there were four of us who decided that we needed to disengage from all the news media and all our news feeds. And we actually wanted to be in relationship with each other. So we go to the folding place, two of us stand on one side, two on the other. And it's set up like almost uh, like if you were playing bags, they set up bowling pins, just like they would in a bowling okay. alley on these okay. boards. Okay. And then okay. each team has a football mm-hmm. and you are mm-hmm. on the same team with the person on your side of the court. Okay. So you take turns throwing a football back and forth and you're trying yeah. to hit as many pins as possible. And the first, like it's way more simple. It's way more simple than actual bowling because it's just how whoever gets all the pins first wins yeah. that round. Okay. It's actually harder than you think. Like you think 10 pins, I'm going to hit something, but then when it's yeah. down to like the split, you know, the oh, yeah. split, yeah. That, oh, yeah. uh-huh. that's when it gets real. Okay. And that's, that's when you're tested and tried. Okay. Well, I, I, that has you have just sparked an idea in me, Ashley. Awesome. Because you you you, you, you spent a lot of time in the Chicago area. I did. And I want to talk about two close personal friends who I believe are also close personal friends of yours. Yes. And uh, those those two individuals are Steve Carter. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah. So you know Steve. You've worked with Steve a lot. Steve yes. is is a good friend. Uh, of both mine and yours. And do you know Sam Acho at all? I do. I've met him. We we don't like kick it, but yes, Sam is amazing. Gotcha. Okay. So Sam is amazing, as is as is uh, uh, Steve. And the three of us, Steve, Sam, and, and myself, we did a podcast uh, a few years ago called Relevant is Doing Sports Podcast. You know, mm-hmm. Sam is, is an NFL athlete, uh, tremendously insightful, uh, not just about football, but, you know, he, he was like a scholar. You know, Sam, I saw him on the NFL Network one morning. He was like on Good Mo- Wake Up, Good Morning for- Football. And they had him doing repeating uh, like 
long soliloquies from Chaucer poems from memory, right? Like Sam is like a brilliant dude about all, all subjects. And as is Steve. And so we did this podcast uh, and and we we stopped doing it after probably we, I don't know, maybe 15 under our belt. We had a really good time doing it, but we just uh, uh, couldn't make a a new season happen. I got a text this week and it was from Steve. And me and Steve, we still text from time to time. And he said, hey, I just want to let you know, I've recorded another podcast with Sam and it's a sports podcast. We're launching a new one. And here has this is how hard and how high they have leveled up. Okay, from the first podcast, it was used to be me, Steve and, and Sam Acha. The podcast is now the new one. It's called Home Team. Everyone should down, should listen to it. It's fantastic. It's an unbelievable sports podcast. It is now Steve, Sam Acho, and no longer me, in my place, Sam Ponder, the <laughs> award-winning host of College Game Day on ESPN, one of the most watched sports. Mm. She's one of the mm. most watched sport broadcasters in the world right now. And so it is it is a very nice level up for them. Like, yeah. I congratulate them and I encourage people to download it. I, I tweet it. But here's what I'm suggesting, Ashley. Okay. You know these guys really well, right? Yeah. And, you know, they're in Chicago. I think we should make some Chicago thing happen. And we need to get a, a, you, the name. Of the sport again is called Froling. Froling. And, cool. and I think just as a good natured kind of, hey, welcome back to the podcast beat. We want to keep you guys in your place. We're going to beat you at Foling and have mm-hmm. a Foling competition. The three of us versus the three of them. How confident yeah. do you feel knowing that Sam played in the actual NFL? Here's what you need to know, Jesse. Okay. Little known fact. I played powder puff back in the day. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, oh, game changer. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've, I really feel confident now in, in my arm, you know, mm-hmm. I've been really practicing yeah. been lifting, you know, yeah. and I think we could do this. I actually think we could do this. I think we could too, because what I lack <laughs> in physical ability and things <laughs> like accuracy, I make up for in my ability to psychologically break down the other team. Now, Ashley, I will. I I think I hope you're okay with this, but I will temporarily for the sake of the game, be laying aside the principles in your book. And I'm going to go hard at these guys. (laughs) I will Listen, we will reconcile after we're going to play to win. We're going to play to win. We are. Come on, let's do it. All right. We're challenging officially Sam and Steve. Yeah. It's on. And, 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 fun, and fun is all a, three is of a, you. This is only worth doing if there's going to be a few stakes involved. So I think it's only fair. Okay. That it's actual in stakes. The, in the, it is actual stakes. Steak dinner is <laughs> steak dinners on the line. Ruth's Chris. That's right. Ruth's Chris. Ruth, a, a trip to Ruth's Chris. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. I guess I better set up my own little foaling league in the backyard and start it. <laughs> All right. Start the, chal- getting, hey, start the challenge is on. I, I will send them a text after and let them know that Perfect. they'll be challenged. And so loser gives up the podcast world. Never records <laughs> another podcast again. <laughs> the only way to make this, make this interesting. Yeah. We got to yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Ruth Chris dinner is on the line. I know they're listening. I know they're faithful fans. Yeah. And I've, I, I honestly have listened to the podcast. I've heard only good things about it so far. Yeah. 
Uh, but I, I'm sure That's, it's a, I'm sure it's, it's a good time. Here's, but here's, my pro- here's my problem with it. It's too good. Someone needs to bring them back uh-huh. down to earth. And Ashley, you are the person <laughs> to do it. You have been preparing for this moment. Oh. As the only veteran of this game that I personally know, I mean, who's even played it whatsoever. <laughs> who's right. even aware of its existence up to this point. I trust you. <laughs> Your team captain. Got some good strategy locked and loaded. And Jesse will chat offline. Yeah. we are going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to be doing the hot list Listening to Love You for a Long Time by Maggie Rogers. She wrote that about her enemies. Love You for a Long Time. She read <laughs> your book, Ashley, and she was so moved that she wrote a song called Love You for a Long Time about everybody who's ever who's ever tried to get her down. Being <laughs> the podcast, you heard B4, B4 by Ginger Root. All right, it's time for a weekly look back at the top five stories at the intersection of faith and culture that happened this week. It's time for it's a Yeah, and real quick, I want to tell you that this week's hot list is brought to you by our church leadership podcast called Called. We just launched season two. It's off to an incredible start. Listen, if you are in church leadership, if you have, if you know someone in church leadership, or honestly, if you just go to a church and want to have a greater perspective on what it takes to be an effective leader, this is an incredible podcast. And we are so fortunate to have so many interesting and diverse voices that are involved in different capacities of the church speaking into these episodes. And so just for kind of a preview of like what people are, are, are in for when they when they download called, you know, we've had episodes, we've had Darius Daniels on talking about protecting marriages in mm-hmm. ministry. We've had um, John Mark Comer on talking about soul care and the importance of, you know, uh, mental health for people in ministry. We've had Banning Leapshire talk about the art of the sermon, Kim Walker Smith uh, talking about worship in the church. Uh, Reverend Samuel Rodriguez talking about ideas, uh, you know, about how can you effectively talk about politics uh, from the pulpit? Um, you know, even the the most recent episode that is out now, Beth Cunningham, who runs one of the largest church, uh, one of the largest children's ministries in the world for uh, church of the Highlands in Alabama talks about why the future of the church really depends on people starting to care more about children's ministry. Most Christians came to their faith when they were a child and a large percentage of those were led to Christ by someone at a children's ministry. So, you know, the, the implications of some of these issues are huge, not just for pastors, not just for leaders, not just for people who want to hear about church informa- uh, innovation from people like Bobby Greenwall or how the Enneagram can make us better leaders by, you know, with Beth McCord, uh, you know, issues that have to do with the individual leaders and the church. We are covering it all. We just kicked off season two. Go check it out. If you are in church leadership or, or are friends with someone who are and are looking for a, a, it's each episode's under an hour and, and we try to really pack it out with a lot of interesting voices and perspective. It is called called and you can get it wherever you get your uh, podcast. So there it is on to the hot list. Tyler, what do we got today, man? 
Oh man, number five this week, Taylor Swift uh, discussed. I would maybe say, yeah, I would even maybe say, dragged politicians who co-opt faith in her new Netflix documentary. So Taylor Swift, she's a, a singer or songwriter. Bring me up to speed. Uh, Bring me up yeah, to speed. Who is this? Who is this person? Yeah, she's uh, she's uh, she's from Nashville. Uh, <laughs> she uh, I don't know if, I don't know how well these people are knowing outside the Nashville scene here, but her name's Taylor Swift. Taylor with a. Uh, <laughs> she, has a new, <laughs> she has a new Netflix doc SoundCloud called Miss Americana. Yeah. And it's about a lot more than the usual kind of rise to fame narrative that tends to dominate this genre. Instead, it's about a very specific evolution of her public brand from being sort of a tidy, safe, one-dimensional pop star to being something a little more complicated and nuanced and even human. So a, a big part of that evolution was the 2018 midterm election when Swift went back to Tennessee to publicly endorse one-time Governor Phil Bredesen over his Republican challenger, Marsha Blackburn for the U.S. Senate. The Bredesen would ultimately lose, but uh, one clip making the rounds uh, on social media shows Swift's fight over this endorsement with her management team who urged her to keep quiet about social and political issues. Swift in the clip is clearly distraught and emotional. She insists that she wants to be on the right side of history while her team, including even her father, tries to talk her down and bringing up the publicity and security concerns. And after that, you can see Taylor sort of break down in tears saying, uh, it really is a big deal to me. I can't see another commercial and see Blackburn disguising these policies behind the words Tennessee Christian values. She says, those aren't Tennessee Christian values. I live in Tennessee. I'm a Christian. That's not what we stand for. Here is a clip of the interaction. I need to be on the right side of history. Yeah, and if he yeah, doesn't win, then at least I, I at least I tried. Yeah, here's the, here's the problem. I just want to read you what I wrote, and I'm going to try to start. I just really want you to know that this is important to me. I totally agree with the have issue. Have you, you heard you 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 Yes, I read the entire thing. And the bottom line right now, I'm terrified. I'm the guy that went out and bought on her cars. I worry for her safety as much as anybody does. Maybe more. It really is a big deal. She votes against against fair pay for women. She votes against the reauthorization of the of the Violence Against Women Act, which is just basically protecting us from domestic abuse and stalking. Stalking. She votes. She thinks that that if you're a gay couple, or even if you look like a gay couple, you should be allowed to be kicked out of a restaurant. It's really basic human rights, and it's right and wrong at this point. And I can't see another commercial and see her disguising these policies behind the words Tennessee Christian values. Those aren't Tennessee Christian values. I live in Tennessee. I am Christian. That's not what we stand for. I get bad press for saying don't put a homophobic racist in office. Then I get bad press for that. I, 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 I think there's a lot to respond to in that clip. And I think, obviously, Taylor Swift is someone who probably has some pretty nuanced political opinions on a variety of issues that people who are also Christians may not agree with, right? Like we can just, you know, I think it's probably pretty safe to assume that about anyone that, you know, when it comes to particular uh, social and economic issues, Christians are going to take a different stand and believe that they are right for doing that. And, and so, but what I do feel like is interesting about this clip is it, it is someone wrestling with how they should publicly express their convictions when they feel like those convictions um, 
align with their faith values. Like I said, even if those convictions are ones that not all Christians would come out mm-hmm. on the same side of it, it's, I feel like what makes this so interesting is she is having sort of this internal conflict, which turns into an external conflict with her team. One that I feel like probably a lot of people listening have done where they say, I don't agree with something And I feel like it's time for me to step up and say something. And I feel like that's the most interesting thing about it. Not necessarily all of her individual policy positions, but her um, conflicted way of uh, or, or basically like the tension that now exists for a lot of people who have a platform to make their opinions known about political and social issues, especially ones that they feel like have consequences when it comes to your faith. I feel like that was probably the the most interesting part of that because she was sort of serving as a surrogate for how a lot of people feel. Actually hearing that clip and, you know, being someone that has a platform that people Mm -hmm. look to for your opinion, you know, I'm sure that's something you've had to wrestle with at times, not just on political issues, but it could be issues within the church or or culture. What was your response kind of hearing her working out this tension? Yeah, it, you're right. It's so human. And I, I felt my heart. Um, I actually thought of Esther, Hmm. uh, in Old Testament, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and sure. when she, and when she said, you know, I'm going to go before this guy who literally holds my life in his hand. So those, those are the high stakes for her, and I'm hearing Taylor say, and her team say, there are some high stakes potentially here. But Esther goes anyway, mm. and her words are, "If I perish, I perish." Yeah. And the question here, I, I like. Listen, I think anyone with a platform in the church and pop culture has to decide what's worth it and what is yours to say and what is yours to mm-hmm. own. Yeah. Um, with a platform comes responsibility. That's true. And yet I know for me, I can't spend my time and energy going after every single issue I care about publicly mm-hmm. because for me in my life, yeah. I want that to be worked out in my actual life. Like if I care about my neighbor, I, I want to actually spend time loving my neighbor. And so it's the tension of what do I say versus what do I do? Um, and I, I see her saying, you know what, this might have implications for more people than just me, but this is a deep conviction. And that, you know, to me, it comes down to what does she feels like is hers to say? Yeah. Um, and hopefully there are other celebrities in pop culture and there are who are helping to carry the weight of certain mantles that she feels convicted around. Yeah. 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 I I think that she is, uh, I think it's generally a good thing when people who have these sorts of platforms, especially like Taylor Swift does a global platform to, Mm -hmm. to, if they feel the conviction to, to speak into important social issues, which she, which, which these are, I think it's a good thing. One thing I, and I don't want to, I hope this doesn't come across as nitpicky, but it's something that I've been thinking about a little bit lately that okay. she brought up and I'm, and I'm not trying to, to 
to drag her here, for this because it's here, a very here common we, here sentiment. We, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Terror down. You Tyler. need to calm down. Was was a bad song. No, it wasn't. That. Um, it was uh, this idea. This idea of being on on the right side of history that she brings up. I think that's something that we've. That you you see a lot of people say that, and it's a lot of people's yeah. motive for the reasons that they say the things they do or do the things they do, and it oftentimes I think does lead to really positive consequences like you i think uh senator romney kind of invoked the right side of history quite a bit in his speech yeah. uh yesterday on, on wednesday yesterday for us about the reason that he was voting to convict the president in the impeachment trial so i don't i, I don't uh i'm not trying to to nitpick that too much but i think it's also important to remember that history books don't always get things right uh, yeah. In fact, they have also they have I, my history book taught me that the Civil War was kind of just a a very basic disagreement <laughs> yeah. over uh, over a few minor things that was resolved pretty quickly <laughs> when uh, when Dr. King told everybody to like hold hands and sing in the '60s. And uh, I, I think that history books are often written by people who have biases as well. Yeah. And I don't say this to besmirch any historians who might be listening to us, but I think there's also a it's valuable to instead of trying to be on the right side of some hist- some arbitrary idea of what history might reflect, try to be on the right side of, of what God is calling us to yeah. and, and w- what he has instilled in your own heart is what the right thing to do is. Because a lot of people who stood on the wrong side of history were on the right side of of the yeah. of God and yeah. of their own moral consciences. And that's a good thing too, even if it's not reflected even though they don't get a statue made of them. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Does it sound like I'm trying to? Yeah. Taylor. I I mean, there's, there's the history that is lived and experienced and then there's written history and that written history is very subjective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like even versions, you know, growing up in Texas, my, my Texas history book, left some stuff out to be so did my my homeschool history (laughs) (laughs) more stuff every day and i wonder i wonder if the tension is truly like i want to be on on someone's good side i wonder if it's like i don't want to be ostracized by my fans i don't want to be like i wonder what the underlying fear is for her um, because the right side of history has cost a lot of people a lot. Yeah. The right side of history, as it's laid out in the scripture, has cost people a lot. Um, and I'd say, you know, I'm more interested not in, like, is what I believe in actually matching up to what I'm I'm reading if I'm a Christ follower in the text? Yeah. In, in the, yeah. in the in the context of how it was lived, spoken and understood. Right. Um, so yeah, I, the right side of history thing is very Hamilton to me and I love Hamilton. Uh-huh. It's yeah. like, exactly. Yeah. That's a good way. Yeah. That's yeah. a good prism. It's yeah. a good, uh, encapsulation of that mentality. Yeah. yeah. And I just, it might cost her some, but you know, if she's very clear on what she's trying to accomplish, by standing up for some of those policies and and politics. And I say that's a brave thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to the whole thing of what does it profit a person to gain the whole world, but lose their soul, you know? And that's why Mm -hmm. I am comfortable in coming out with lots 
of controversial issues that will put me eventually on the right side of history, including the fact that avocado toast is trash and, <laughs> that, down, and that downtown Abbey and that downtown Abbey is very boring. And I will be vindicated. I will be vindicated by history. History history will smile on you. Maybe not the avocado (laughs) thing. Maybe not the avocado (laughs) thing. Uh, Okay, number four this week. Oh, a new trailer dropped for uh, Ben Affleck's new faith-inspired basketball movie. Faith-inspired basketball movie. Jesse, I should just let you take this one. This has has you written all over it. I'm going to take it. There's no polite way to say this. You wouldn't shut up about this movie. I shoehorn this in. Actually, usually all of them are like, have that real like discussion element, just like we had just now. Like, oh, well, obviously this is story we got to talk about. It's pop culture. It's yeah. Christianity. It's this is yeah. one I just needed to people to know about. So Ben Affleck's love in this it. new basketball movie. I love basketball. Um, the movie is called Way Back. And I am a sucker for movies about like gritty underdog comeback stories. I love them. I know there's a lot of tropes. I know that, you know, a lot of them. Are, are kind of recycled. I don't care. I get inspired by them. And I'm very excited about this movie. It's called The Way Back. Now, it's uh, uh, directed by Gavin O'Connor, who did Warrior and The Accountant, which are two very cool movies. Uh, so it's in good hands. And so here's a, here's a quick premise, and we're going to play a clip from the trailer. And when you're listening to the trailer, I dare you all listening not to just get chills. If you don't have chills, get to the doctor. You probably have a heart condition because you're going to be inspired. <laughs> if the entire movie was what this trailer was, which is just Ben Affleck making an inspirational speech and swirling music and like slow-mo jump shots. If that was the movie with no plot context, I'll fill in the holes. I'll get it. Something bad happened to the guy. The kid's a ragtag team. This Christian school that he's coaching at has seen better days. I get it. I can fill in the holes. I don't even know. I don't even know the story. I don't need to. So the movie tells the story of this guy who was a former breakout high school basketball star. He suffered some loss in his life. Something really bad happened. We don't know. Um, and he's bottom out. He's an alcoholic and he's struggling with any sort of recovery. He gets a call from his old Christian school that says, hey, we need a basketball coach. And will you be the guy? You are a star. And he seizes an opportunity for some means of redemption. Uh, he's hard around the edges. And he, by golly, he doesn't have the most gifted athletic team in the world, but they got heart. Let's hear a portion of his speech from this new trailer for The Way Back, which dropped this week. Chandler fired up for us. I got a feeling this team is not as bad as its record. We have to trust each other. We have to have faith. I just want you to be happy again. (laughs) But you kind of want it too. Don't underestimate the impact you can have on them. Just your description is so... I want to hear your voice. (laughs) Yes or no? Yes, no. Nervous. I get it. Truth is, they're more talented than you. Probably got a better coach. But I promise you, they are not a better team. Because they haven't been through what we've been through. They don't know adversity. They don't know what it's like to get knocked down to have to get back up again. They don't know what it is to fight. Who are we? Hey, listen. Listen. I love it. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to take that clip and just play it over and over again. And I want you to think about Sam, Steve, and Sam Ponder standing across (laughs) from us at the foaling place. Okay. And I will be looking at you guys. I'll be like, 
we might, they might be better players than us. They sure as heck have a better coach, but they are not a better team. They don't know the adversity. And I'm looking at them while screaming this at the foaling place. And everyone's like, hey, you need to calm down, pro. We're going to need to toss you out of here. We often will say that everyone's going to be cheering. Rock That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I am pumped for this movie and I know I shoehorned it on here, but guys, come on. You heard that shoe- speech. It's, it's not shoehorn. It's not shoehorn. The hot list is a, you heard that it's, speech. A, it's a wide. We're an inclusive hot list. You know what? It evokes like a new low coach Carter for me. Like, yeah. I'm so excited to see it because it feels like the 2020 version of like what of coach, coach Carter, Carter was all those years yeah. Oh, and I'm like yeah. ready for it. Like there's no Samuel L, right? There's yeah. no Samuel yeah. Jackson. This one, this one, no. But Ben Affleck, I like, I watched that trailer, you guys. And I was like, this is going to, I think it's going to intersect like the basketball love for a lot of people. And also the, the, the brokenness and Ben, like they're going to look at Ben yeah. and be like, you know yeah. what? There's yeah. something in yeah. parents and me and my, that there, people are just going to resonate with. And I'm excited for it. Yeah. It's a little cheesy. Yeah. I think, but I'm there for it. I'm going to watch. I would, I would have, I would have more concerns about his cheesiness if this wasn't Gavin O'Connor, because I feel like warrior and the accountant, you could also say like, I like on, I like on paper, I did like warrior on paper. You I could say, you Oh, like a fighting movie. This will be, this is just gonna be kind of a Rocky thing. I feel like he takes an interesting angle. So it's called the way back. We're, we're excited about it. And uh, are, particu- yeah. particularly me, I've been listening to that on a loop as <laughs> I think about Sam, Sam and Steve. So tell her what else we got, ma'am. Uh, number three this week. So New York life's super bowl ad broke down the four types of love C.S. Lewis style. This was interesting. Uh, I, maybe you caught this at your Super Bowl parties. Uh, it did. It did. Uh, it, it set off my old youth group flags when this ad came on. So I, I had to do a little bit of research on it. And turns out I was right. Some viewers may have recognized some of the lessons from New York Life's ad, which featured a crash course in the four Greek words for love famously written about by C.S. Lewis in his classic Before Loves. Over a gentle montage of friends and lovers, Tessa Thompson breaks down philea, which is love between friends, storge, which is familial love, eros, which is romantic love, and agape, which is love in action. As uh, as exorbitant advertising for a for-profit insurance company goes, you could do a lot worse than an ad like this. Uh, so here is a clip of that ad in case you missed it. The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first is philia. Philia is affection that grows from friendship. Next, there's storge, the kind you have for a grandparent or a brother. Third, there's eros, the uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. The fourth kind of love is different. It's the most admirable. It's called agape. Love has an action. This is good. It takes courage, sacrifice, strength. Okay. For 175 years, we've been helping people act on their love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they get into the sales pitch. We get it. We get it. Yeah. That's where things kind of fall apart. Yeah, it, I'm more I'm more fascinated by the ad agency, you know, because a Super Bowl oh, ad costs sure. like yeah. five million bucks or something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so someone at New York Life was like, "All right, got an idea for an ad. Got one to two eyes ideas. One, 
Kierkegaard on suffering to C.S. Lewis on the four loves. And they're like, that's all you got? We got to go to, I guess, pick the Lewis one. Like, who is this ad guy? the suffering thing. Yeah. <laughs> Fresh After, from Bible your, study. What, what are your thoughts on, on, on an insurance ad using, using C.S. Lewis for their for source material? You know what? I mean, here's the point. Like, we're talking about it, which, yeah. you know, which is great mm-hmm. marketing. I was not that impressed with the catalog of Super commercials this year yeah and so this one stood out to me against the backdrop of all the other flops um which is what you want to do anyway but it was thoughtful and it was fresh and it was it was really refreshing given that classically the super bowl ads that i remember like the budweiser's etc usually go the humorous route and this this one kind of pulled on the heartstrings which is what i think made it memorable yeah there were some sweet moments. And yeah. yeah, like that little montage had some genuinely like kind of like, oh, like a lot of little awe moments. I do have sort of a, and people have noted the the sort of disconnect when they go into the actual pitch right. over the fact sure. that, that yeah. this is for an insurance company who you have to pay an awful lot of money for them to exercise any sort of love in action, which doesn't seem maybe like totally the heart of agape love. It's not as much of a stretch <laughs> as if, if like another company had taken this approach. We at Bud Light, That's true. We at Bud Light Line <laughs> like to think about the words of G.K. Chesterton when he says <laughs> for 175 years, Flamin' Hot Cheetos has been there. <laughs> the team, the team at the team at White, Cl- the team at White Claw, reflects on the words of the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, when he says, "It's part, it's party time, and it tastes like grape tissue." <laughs> the Charmin Bear reading yeah, the Four the Loves. Char- the Charmin's reading it, not Tess. On the John. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so all was considered. I thought. Yeah. Insurance. Yeah. I mean, could have been worse. Yeah. Yeah. Given, yeah, could be worse. Could be worse yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, number two this week. I, this was interesting. So Joaquin Phoenix's BAFTA speech was a pretty powerful call for diversity. Um, so as expected, Joaquin Phoenix took home a Best Actor award from the BAFTAs for his performance in Joker. A little more surprising was the speech he gave in which he called out systemic racism in the industry with a lot more force and thoughtfulness than most actors usually do. Obviously, award shows aren't really strangers to calls for diversity, but Phoenix's speech really stands out from the rest of the sort of trite slogans and empty gestures you often see. He had a lot of thoughtful nuance and moral clarity and made it clear that this is something he's taken time to educate himself about, and he's recognized his own failings with regard to inclusivity in his industry. He said, quote, this is not a self-righteous condemnation because I'm ashamed to say that I'm a part of the problem. I have not done everything in my power to make sure that the sets I work on are inclusive. But I think it's more than just have sets that are multicultural. I think that we have to do the hard work to truly understand systemic racism. I think that it is the obligation of the people that have created and perpetuate and benefit from a system of oppression to be the ones that dismantle it. So that's on us. Here is a clip of the rest of his speech. Uh, I feel very honored and privileged uh, to be here tonight. Baptists have always been very supportive of of my career and I'm deeply appreciative. But I have to say that I also feel um, conflicted because so many of my fellow actors 
that are deserving don't have that same privilege. Uh, I think that we send a very clear message to people of color that you're not welcome here. Um, I think that's the message that we're sending to people that have contributed uh, so much to our medium and our industry and in ways that we benefit from. Um, <clears throat> I don't think anybody wants a, uh, a handout or a preferential treatment, although that's what we give ourselves every year. I think that people just want to be acknowledged and appreciated and respected for, for their work. This is not a self-righteous condemnation because uh, I'm ashamed to say that I'm part of the problem. I have not uh, done everything in my power to ensure that the sets I work on are inclusive, uh, but I think that it's more than just having sets that are multicultural. I think that um, we have to really do the, the hard work to truly understand systemic racism. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> I think that it is the obligation of the people that have created and perpetuate and benefit from a system of oppression to be the ones that dismantle it. So that's on us. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's since sort of the, the we're coming up on the Oscars here this Sunday and ever since the Oscars so white thing started a couple of years ago and and obviously there was a big campaign around that that based on this year's nominees was not entirely successful or did not uh, really reach the uh, affect anybody's uh, voting record when it comes to these types of movies uh it's it's interesting to there's it's easy to do little kind of symbolic gestures like a like a little pin that you wear on the red carpet or or the the little slogans and hashtags that go up and i feel like this speech goes at least as far as as much as a speech can as much as words can seems to go a little bit deeper and and take a little more realistic stock of what needs to change and the complicity that phoenix himself says he's he's been involved in and that's important yeah, this, this stood out for me because he included himself in the system. I think so often I hear people talk about the system as this nebulous idea, but really it's a network of people who are maintaining it. Yeah, so for yeah. to include himself in this idea, of, it's not just a system that exists outside of us. I'm included, you're included, everyone has a place in it. Was that, that was the powerful piece for me. I'll be interested to see going forward from his speech um, what he decides to change about his, not just influence, but authority in, in the realm of uh, acting and cinematography. Um, with a speech like that, people are going to be watching him a lot more closely now to say, yeah. what, what decisions is he now making that look different from what he's produced or put out in the past? And um yeah, there's a difference between speaking to a system and actually using one's authority to change something within it. So that'll be the, the proof in the pudding. Yeah, especially the, since he's uh, he, he's accepting that. And this is not like you said, this is not entirely on him. This is part of a much broader problem. that's bigger than any one actor. But he's accepting this award for a movie that was, in my opinion, rightfully criticized for being for having some racial insensitivities in both its production and in the, in the script itself. Yeah. And, and, and two, accepting an award in a year where, you know, this might not pertain to the BAFTAs, but certainly for the Oscars, 
you know, Cynthia Arrivo uh, from Harriet was the only non-white person to be nominated in any of the acting categories. And in a year that had a ton of incredible performances, particularly how does Lupita Nyong'o not get a, an Oscar for us? It, I mean, that's not just one of the most stirring performances that, you know, she literally was able to personify, you know, privilege and disenfranchisement in the same in like the same actor portraying two different characters that they got you, two two performances for the two oscar oscar worthy performances for the price and, of one and, and not movie. only that and they well, still did not well, a, a a a performance and a film that i feel like will age much much better than uh you know a lot of the other things that were recognized Certainly like than joker yeah, yeah. And, and i mean that's just, that's just one example uh you know but i think there 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 are countless but it, i do appreciate his posture of saying I'm a part of the problem. And, 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 and a lot of us can say that, that, that we need to do better. Like we need to challenge ourselves to do better. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he wins at the Oscars, what he will say to that crowd, because that crowd, uh, uh, you know, has heard the call for more inclusion and more diversity. You know, I, th I feel like that's kind of in a pattern, but doesn't seem, you know, to be all that receptive, you know? Yeah. That will be, That'll be super good on good on Facebook. Like you say, the once you you can't make a speech like that and then not expect yeah. people to say yeah. what's next. Yeah, yeah. what's yeah. next? Okay. So but hopefully, yeah, so hopefully something yeah. happens. Yeah. And coming in at number one this week, a new song from Sufjan Stevens and his stepdad Lowell Brahms has dropped. All right, so Sufjan, uh, he's a singer songwriter. Guys, he's a. This often comes. Speaking of Chicago, this is like a Chicago he's, he's episode. Sufjan with an A. Yeah. Well, this is, yeah, Sufjan. Sufjan is a S O O F Y A N, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sufjan. Um, Sufjan Stevens released a new song off of his upcoming album that he recorded with his stepfather, Lowell Brahms. That is, yes, Lowell of Carrie and Lowell fame. The duo are also behind the record label, Asthmatic Kitty, that brought Sufjan to the national stage. The album is called Aporia. I think that's how you pronounce it. It releases in March. Uh, I saw Asthmatic Kitty tweeted yesterday. Everybody's waiting for the new Sufjan State album and Aporia is a state of mind. So we <laughs> took a while, but we're finally getting our next uh, our next date on Sufjan. The song is called The Unlimited. It gives a hint at the experimental atmospheric sound. Here is a clip. I feel like I'm playing a video game right now. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> You know, Chandler, I'm just going to call it here. I think we've heard enough. We get the idea. Sufjan doing is in a weird <laughs> new album, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm not here for it. I, I listened to his catalog, and uh, but this is this is a new direction for him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ashley, are you a Sufjan fan at all? I love Sufjan, and here's I felt this way about Coldplay's new album too. Yeah, it's so yeah. other. Yeah. From yeah. Mm -hmm. the catalog mm -hmm. that because he's done his previous work, I can listen to this with appreciation for him as an artist. Yeah. But I can't yeah. feel like listening to it in the car, like on my way to the gym. Like it doesn't like get me pumped up. It's more of a thought reflection. I'm like, yeah. hmm, I'm trying to figure out what you were doing here. And yeah. so yeah. It, it's because of who he's been, I can receive it. But it, it's not an 
easy on my earlobes. I can. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not yeah. like background music at the dinner party. No, it's, you I, know. I can't like start into this. Yeah, can Being I be a Sufjan fan? Which I am. Uh, I'm a big Sufjan fan. And Illinois came out when I was in the Chicago area. When I was living in Chicago, it was a very big mo. I was yeah, like prime cool. demo. White Christian teenager living in Chicago and Illinois drops. That's just like <laughs> the cross. So that's a Venn diagram. Uh, so I am a fan. But being a fan is kind of complicated with Sufjan. You have to be willing yeah. to buckle in for a yeah. lot of you for a lot of wild twists in the ride. All right, that'll do it for this week's. It's the hardest, the hardest. It's sizzling. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Garrett Stevens joins us. Listening to George. It's by Arlo Parks. But Jarrett Stevens is a writer and the pastor of Chicago's Soul City Church. He's also the author of the new book, Praying Through, Overcoming the Obstacles That Keep Us from God. Jesse, you recently got to speak with Jarrett about the book for our special Chicago episode right. of the relevant podcast. Uh, and he talked to you about what to do when praying gets tough. That's not something I can really relate to, but I, uh, I understand that it's a lot of people's problem. Prayer must be difficult for some of you. Uh, so I'll just excuse myself from this one because prayer comes pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, me. as with most stuff with you, Tyler, would you just a natural? So for the struggling, you're just a natural. So for the struggling out there, yeah. <laughs> well, but I, you know, and that actually that is a good entry point, Tyler, because I wanted to, you know, first off, ask Jarrett about why he wanted to write the book and you know why a lot of people struggle with the idea of prayer. And here's here here's what he said. Yeah, I think you know the. The impetus of this book, the whole desire to write this book came from two places. One is pastoral um, in the sense that I've been in full-time ministry, like vocational ministry for 24 years now. And, you know, there's just countless conversations with folks or time with folks where they're never, they've never prayed before. You know, we have a lot of folks that are part of our church at Soul City Church here in Chicago that are very new to faith and very new to all this stuff, right? So there's that. Then there's folks who've been at it for a long time who've just gotten stuck and like, what do I do? And I just don't feel it anymore. Like, I just don't feel connected to God anymore. And then there's just time where we've been with people who are grieving and at a lot in a season of loss. And they're just like, I don't even know. I don't even want to talk to God. Like, I don't even, and if I did, I don't even know what I would say, you know? So there's been enough conversations pastorally, but then like, to be honest, dude, there's far more personally for me, you know, cause I've been a, I've been in relationship with God for most of my life. I mean, most of my life and have had my own seasons, you know, where I've like, been super connected to God and like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. And I'm God's favorite and you know, everything's going great. And, and then seasons where I wanted nothing to say to God at all. So it, it comes from really two places, both pastoral and personal. So I, I, you know, I do kind of, uh, you know, relate to that. Sometimes praying is hard, you know, between, you know, we, Jared and I also talked about, um, you know, a time in his life when he dealt with some, some tragedies and was dealing with grief mm-hmm. and, and how, um, you know, how to approach grief prayerfully and just, you know, when, when hard things happen in life, sometimes it's hard to pray. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's, it's like, you, you, 
it's not what you it's one of the hardest things yeah it's it's just it's so hard to know like what to pray for you know things are bad you want to reach out to god that's prayer seems like the right thing to do and even sometimes feels like kind of the natural thing to do to reach out to to a higher power like that but then what to actually ask for can be so tough and and, you know the subtitle of the book is overcoming the obstacles that keep us from god and i kind of wanted to dig into that a little because along with grief there are other things that kind of do prevent us from connecting Mm -hmm with God that that feels like I think we've all kind of experienced uh, the feeling of you know it almost feels like you're talking to the ceiling you know like mm-hmm. is does God mm-hmm. hear yeah. and so yeah. I wanted to ask Jarrett how he kind of defined those obstacles that you know do prevent us sometimes from from praying as I kind of set out to write this book one as a pastor but also as a person you know just as a person trying to have a relationship with God in this world um, I started reading a ton on prayer and looking at what others were saying about prayer and And what I began to realize is that prayer is really like when it comes to having a relationship with God, it's essential, if not central, it's essential. It's hard to have, like I've been married now for 24 years. It's hard to be in a marriage relationship with my wife without talking to her or acknowledging her. Like it just wouldn't, it just doesn't work. She doesn't go for it. Right. So same is true of prayer in my relationship with God. And what I began to see was, oh my gosh, it feels at times so complicated. It feels at times so, you know, frustrating or it feels at times so beyond us. And the truth of the matter is God is not the one who complicated prayer. We're the ones who've complicated prayer. We've just thrown all kinds of stuff on top of it of comparison and acronyms and shame because we feel like we're not praying enough or we're not praying right. And, and so lots of times the, the obstacles that some of the, just some, some of the ones I walk through in the book are just when you're new to prayer, like, when you're just starting out, that can feel like an obstacle. Like, I don't know how to do this, right? But the truth is that everything you and I know how to do was new to us at some point. Like we're sitting here recording a podcast into microphones that we didn't own at one point. We didn't know how this technology works. We're on Skype. There was a point where you'd never used Skype before, you know? And so rather than like beating ourselves up for not knowing, you just got to remember, oh yeah, everything I know how to do is new at some point. Uh, another one is uh, when we don't hear from God. That's a big one, right? And yet we we forget that what St. John of the Cross said, he said that silence is God's first language. Like God is incredibly comfortable with silence. So the invitation then, instead of that, seeing that as an obstacle when I don't hear from God, what if I could see that as, a, as a, an invitation, an opportunity? Can I be comfortable with silence? Can I just sit in silence with God without having to use words? And, and know that I am praying, I'm connecting with God by just sitting. My practice is meditating in silence with God. Like, that is a profound shift for me, right? Another one is like we talked about a minute ago about grief. How do you connect to God when you are grieving? And I think for a lot of people, grief or when, when God doesn't answer a prayer, we don't hear God answering a prayer we want. Those are those times where our faith can either blow up. And I've seen that. I've seen that with friends that have grown up in the church, friends that were working for churches that just blew up their faith. So it can either blow up your faith or it can grow up your faith. Like, okay, if I'm walking through this loss and this grief or God hasn't answered this prayer the way I wanted to, is this an invitation maybe to transformation? He's got us something else here for me than just what I wanted. And so that's a big one, walking through grief. Uh, worry is a huge one, um, you know, and we're living in, a, in an age of anxiety and a significant mental health crisis. And so, how do we actually 
um, take the things that we would meditate on. That's all worry is. It's just meditation in the wrong direction. You know, that really, when I'm worried, all I'm doing is meditating on something and I'm thinking about it over and over and over again. So how can I redirect that to inviting God in versus just getting myself all worked up? So those are some of the ones, there's others in the, the book that I talk about, but I just kind of took the, like from my life and from lives of people that I'm in a relationship with, where is it that we most often get stuck with God and how can we maybe like turn the gem a little bit, you know, like see it from a different angle and go, oh yeah, maybe this is actually an invitation to a new or a deeper or a more meaningful way of connecting with God. You know, uh, one of the things he mentioned there was silence. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to God, but it doesn't seem like he's talking back to me. Like that, that, that's, that's a pretty big obstacle sometimes, you know? Um, mm. and so I wanted to ask Jarrett about that in particular, you know, just because that's one I'm always been kind of interested in, but the way he framed it about sometimes God is intentionally, intentionally silent because silence and stillness are, are a part of his nature. And really, it, it, you know, he might be teaching us in that silence. Uh, here's how Jarrett explained it. Here's, I can just tell you from, from my life, what I've experienced by, by embracing and even seeking out silence with God. It allows me to trust that everything is going to be okay with God. It may not be like I want. It may not be like I expect. It may not be like all my list of demands, you know, that I have for God, but when I can stop for five minutes, I mean, wow, what a, you know, like that seems like so easy, but dude, for me, five minutes, 10 minutes of just sitting in silence, no music, no words being said, no journal, no, none of that, just silence, quiet. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm just practicing um, what the Bible talks about in Psalm 46, 10, where it just says, be still and know that I am God. Like, I, I got this. You're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I've got you. And it is powerfully releasing for me to just go. And look, truth is 10 minutes later, I can still get worked up and I can still start to go, okay, but, but really God, like I need, I just, what silence does for me is it just, it opens up my awareness to the fact that God is already here. He already hears my heart. He knows what it is that I am asking for, that I think I need. And it reminds me that he's already in control. Like I don't have to like wake him up at the wheel and say, God, you better do something about this. It just helps settle things for me. So it's, it is so counterintuitive for me to do it, but it has been so powerful for me to just stop and just trust, to attentively trust that God is in control. You know, Tyler, I think the, the other thing that has always, um, I, I don't think I'm alone in this, that along with the, you know, that, that idea of, of silence and, uh, you know, what to do when you, when you don't hear from God, the other big challenge, mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, and I know I've experienced this my own life and maybe you haven't, I know you are more spiritual than I and, yeah. and yeah. But it's not about a lot of less struggles than I do, <laughs> but, uh, is how do you know, you know, if what you're hearing or what you think you're hearing is from God? Like, you right. know what I mean? Like, is this just, is uh -huh. this all in my head? Is this, you know, well, how do I know? Like, okay, I'm praying, I'm doing my part, but how do I know if what I'm hearing is actually from God? Um, and Jared had a really insightful answer. This is a little bit longer of an answer, but I think it's one that will connect with a lot of people. Here was sort of his advice for trying to understand if what you're hearing is actually from the Lord. Yeah. And this is, again, you know, there, uh, there's not 
like a, this is this is all more art than science, right? This is all more like God is mysterious and vast. And I think there are things that we've done to oversimplify and at the same time overcomplicate prayer. But, you know, for me, like when I'm seeking direction, right, when I need like, and that's one of the chapters in the book, like, what do I, how do I pray through when I'm in a place where I need direction? Like, I actually do need like, God, should I do this or that? Should I go here or there? Them or not them is to kind of lean into what is um, already available to me. And, you know, this is really, this is what spiritual directors and, you know, folks who are kind of been in this for a while call discernment. That's what it is. It's just when I need, when I'm trying to discern, is this God? I'm, I'm, I'm actively listening. God is this you. And one of the, the way that sort of makes sense to me, and I think is an alignment with the teachings of God and wisdom of God is to kind of run through a little process and, you know, it's, it's the, these three questions that I'll ask myself. What has God said? So has God already said something about this? Like, is this in alignment with something God's already said? You know, and sometimes it doesn't always work out. Like, should I take this promotion or not? Or, you know, it's like, I don't know if there's going to be a verse on, should you take an upper middle management position? Or <laughs> There's not going to be a verse on that. Right. And, and lots of times when we're trying to listen to God, uh, a spiritual director of mine, Ruth Haley Barton says, you know, look, we're, we're at a place where we're, we're not discerning between good and bad things. You know, like we're, you're at a place like, you, you know, this is not a good choice. I, I know this is an unhealthy, unwise, or even potentially sinful choice. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about discerning between good and good things. Like, you know, I'm at that point. So, but is there something God has already said? Is there wisdom that's already available to me through the Bible? You know, like, is there a verse? Is there a passage? Is there a story? Is there a teaching of Jesus that has already spoken to this? So what has God said? Okay, so God already said something about this. And then for me, the next place, so I start there, right? Sarah, you know, let's kind of search through and do a Google search or remember this verse that I had read a while ago. Okay, I think God spoke to that, right? So I start there. Then what is God saying? Is there something as I'm listening? Is that what is the... Is there something, a nudge? Is there a, a, a thing that has come up more than three times? You know, I've sensed this like, God, I, you keep bringing me back to this thought or you keep bringing me back to this person or you keep bringing me back to this idea or this city or the, whatever it is. And for me, I like to test it. Like, has he said it more than once or have I sensed he said it more than once? You know, because the way I'm wired, dude, I'm first out of the huddle. Like, like the, the play hasn't even been called yet and I'm already running and ready to go. I'm like, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. And so it's a good discipline for me to just go, okay, has, has this come up more than once? And there's no verse on this, no science, but I just use the kind of rule of three. Have I heard this from God? Like three times has this come up? And then if I'm still unclear, which lots of times I am, it's like, I don't know. It seems, I don't know. I'm not sure. So I go from what has God said to what is God saying? And then I go into what are godly people saying? Are there people that uh, I look at their lives, my wife and I call them friends we want to be like, you know, not friends we want to be liked by, but friends we want to be like. Are there people that I look at their life, I go, dang, they, they seem to they, they seem to have walked well with God and maybe in this area of parenting for us or maybe in this area of finances or in their career, or whatever it is. So then I ask godly people to listen with me. I don't ask for their opinion because we are real. We are overrun with opinions these days. I'm not asking for opinion. I'm not even necessarily asking for feedback. You know, I'm just asking them. Will you listen with me? Will you Will you join me? Now, truth is that is a more responsive choice than a reactive choice. You know, a reactive choice is I think God's saying some. I'm going to quit my job and go do it. And you know. 
God is big enough that he'll be with you, whether that was a wise call or not. This is more of a responsive choice. I want to respond to God by what has he already said? What is he saying in this moment? And what are godly people saying? And it takes longer, just like to be honest with you, it's not quick. It takes longer. Um, but in my opinion, it it saves you over the long haul. It, it protects you it, over the long haul. I'd rather it take a month or two or three longer than I want this decision to be than have years of regret for making an impulsive reactive decision. Yeah, it's awesome stuff. The book is called Praying Through, Overcome the Obstacles that Keep Us from God. As you can tell from the interview, it's, it's, it's not just really profound stuff, it's really practical stuff. So definitely check it out and support another Chicagoan this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And thanks a lot for handling all that, Jesse. That was a, a super cool conversation and I honestly can't hear enough about. I don't think you can really hear enough about prayer and how to do mm-hmm. it better because it's something that that uh, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, and unfortunately, it's also very difficult. Yeah. So yeah. Th- I'm, I'm grateful for anybody who has wisdom on it. And honestly, I think with that, time to wrap it up. Well, hey, many thanks to everyone who joined us today, especially Ashley. Thank you so much for coming on and for taking time for the pod. This was this was a lot of fun. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a you're. In, I don't know what people have told you about your podcasting skills, but in my book, you're a natural. Thank you, brother. This was so fun. I can't wow. wait to uh, see whoever wants to come at me and Jesse on the bowling court. That's right. That's right. <laughs> taking contenders. So and, and no Do prisoners. I, I, no I know prisoners. that I'm not like a. No, I, I may not have what they call athletic ability. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, I may be. I, I can, I'm sports blind is a good word. For it. I don't know. T- I, I wouldn't Tyler, know if I Tyler, saw let, one. Let, let, let me just stop you there. Ashley and I were meaning to have a little conversation with you. We we're going to do it <laughs> offline, not publicly, where everyone's going to hear. But we'll see about you being on the team. To be honest, what, we, what we might be speech, trying out. inspiring speech about <laughs> how they might be better than we you. We might be trying out some some. You gunners. can be the ref. Yeah, exactly. You can be a ref, you know, there's, there's giftings that you have. It's like Tyler, like if this was a church setting, you know, parking lot ministry is ministry too. Someone's got to get those people in and out, right? Right now, Ashley and I are targeting, uh, you know, uh, there's a couple people. Um, I got a feeler out to uh, Mahomes. You know, he just came off that big W. He's got a little okay. time off. He might be interested. I can't turn it down. Well, I just can't well, turn maybe it down. maybe I'll just see if Steve Carter wants a fuller on his team. Hey, yeah, call him up. Yeah, I actually invite you. I, I invite you to join his team. Actually, that would be that be that would help everyone. You can and should pre-order Ashley's Humankind, How Reclaiming Worth and Embracing Radical Kindness will bring us back together. You can also go to head over to our website, ashleyisland.com. And follow her on Instagram, Ashley Island. That's A-S-H-L-E-E underscore E-I-L-A-N-D, Ashley Island. Ashley, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. This was a blast. Thanks to Jerry Stevens as well. His new book, Praying Through, Overcoming the Obstacles that Keep Us from God, is available now. And hey, while you're on our Apple Podcast page, make sure that you give us a positive review because of the positive experience that you had today. We may even read some of your reviews on a podcast. And with that, we'll wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chandler String. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Ashley Island. Have a great weekend, everyone. listening to the relevant podcast if you like what you heard be sure to leave us a review on itunes 
Check out other shows from the Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. Sure as heck have a better coach, but they are not a better team. Relevant Podcast Network.